Welcome to Kidney Essentials, a podcast for medical students, residents, and all nephrocurious practitioners at the University of Colorado and beyond. Let's start with our introductions. Hi, I'm Sarah Young. Happy New Year to all of you. And I have no conflicts of interest. Twitter handle, Sarah. Oh, my Twitter handle. It's at, what is my Twitter? At Kidney Critic. (laughs) (laughs) I forgot it there for a second. (laughs) I almost said at Nephrocurious. I was like, no. All right, Judy, you're up. Um, Happy New Year to everyone. My name is Judy Blaine, and my Twitter handle is at Judy Blaine2. And I'm Sophie Ambrusso. I'm going to follow suit by saying Happy New Year. I also have no conflicts of interest, and my Twitter handle is at Sophia underscore kidney. Okay, so let's have some fun today. Today we're going to discuss what albuminuria and proteinuria mean to us as nephrologists. So basically we're going to talk about how we measure and interpret them and why you all should care as much as we do. So you'll have to wait for future Kidney Essential podcasts to get into all the fun, fascinating proteinuric diseases like glomerulonephritis and membranous nephropathy and all that fun stuff. We do have a resident expert here, Dr. Judy Blaine, um, but you'll have to wait. So let's start Woo-hoo. with our kid. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's start with the case. Your primary care colleague consults you for a 45-year-old woman with poorly controlled type 1 diabetes mellitus complicated by diabetic neuropathy, retinopathy, and hypertension with previous stable micro, microalbuminuria. It has progressed at 800 milligrams per gram of albuminuria and 1600 milligrams per gram of proteinuria. She has 2 plus protein detected on dipstick, no red blood cells, white cells, or casts identified on microscopy. The patient's serum creatinine has risen from 0.6 milligrams per deciliter to 1.1 milligrams per deciliter over the last two years. So based on what we know about this patient, you guys, what is our greatest suspicion for her cause of albuminuria and CKD? I'm going to start because that's an easy question. I'm going to take the easy question. So um, given that she's 45 and has several complications of her type 1 diabetes and most specifically retinopathy... um, She probably has diabetic nephropathy. It's by far the leading suspect here. And that's further supported by the fact that her urine shows no cellular cast, no RBCs, no red blood cells to suggest she has another GN. And the likelihood that it is diabetic nephropathy um, is also strengthened by the fact that the case mentions that her diabetes has been poorly controlled. And we know that elevated blood glucoses and poor, poor... Uh, control of your diabetes is an independent risk factor for albuminuria and diabetic kidney disease. Okay. I'm just going to pipe in here and say GN that Sarah said earlier means glomerulonephritis, if any of you have not are not familiar with that. Um, but moving on, uh, so you guys are confident that this is diabetic nephropathy. Would you do anything else to work up this patient? I definitely would. The gold standard for diagnosing diabetic nephropathy is a kidney biopsy, but we don't biopsy all diabetics. And we'll get to this in another case. But in order to make sure that we're not missing anything else, we should do some other testing. So other things that can present with protein or albumin, uh, more likely protein in the urine, are plasma cell dyscrasias. So you would want to check a serum protein electrophoresis or an SPEP 
a urine protein electrophoresis or a UPEP and kappa and lambda-free light chains. And again, we'll go into what these tests mean and what they're used for in later episodes. And certain infectious diseases such as hepatitis B or hepatitis C can also be associated with increased protein in the urine. And so we'd want to uh, do uh, tests for those, do serologic workup for HCV and HBV. And I just want to elaborate on something Judy said. You know, she said we don't di- we don't biopsy everyone who has diabetic kidney disease, and the reason is that that would just be feasibly very difficult. About forty percent of type two diabetics and thirty percent of type ones will have diabetic kidney disease. That would be a lot of biopsies um, to do. So that's why we don't we don't do that on everyone. Great. I agree. It's generally a clinical diagnosis, and we'll talk about that later in another case, Um, which is actually why I chose diabetic nephropathy case, because I want to keep this actually pretty simple. We're focusing on proteinuria and albuminuria, and not all all the many glomerular causes of albuminuria and proteinuria. So since we will be doing a diabetic kidney case um, podcast at a later time, we're not going to elaborate much more on that here. Um, so getting back to her proteinuria, Sarah, what is 16 milligrams per gram? I think you meant 1,600. So 1,600, yeah. I think you meant 1,600 milligrams. Sure, sure did. Yeah. <laughs> Let me rephrase. So, what is 1,600 milligrams per gram of proteinuria? Okay, so what that is is that's a spot protein in which we measured both the uh, protein in that spot urine sample and the creatinine in that spot urine sample. And we divided the amount of protein by the amount of creatinine to give us those milligrams per gram units. And we always standardize a a random urine to the amount of creatinine in there. It helps us account for the fact that it's not a 24-hour urine. Um, And uh, so I'm just going to go on to the next part, which is the gold standard for uh, measuring protein is is a 24-hour urine, um, but those are quite cumbersome to do. You have to have the patient wake up one day, the first time they pee, they pee in the toilet, then every day, t- then all day after that, and the first time the next morning, they pee into a, a urinal and they bring that in. And then on a 24-hour urine, we measure the total amount of protein in that 24-hour urine, and then we measure the total amount of creatinine. And the way we figure out whether that urine is actually collected correctly is by the amount of creatinine excreted. So um, most women will excrete between 10 to 15 milligrams per kilogram of creatinine in a 24-hour urine, and most men will excrete between 15 to 20. And if they're considerably far off of that, most of them have collected sufficiently less than that, then you know it's not a full 24-hour urine. Okay. Thanks. That was really helpful. Um, So Judy, Sarah just discussed how we measure protein in urine. Um, Then why are we caring about albumin or albuminuria for this patient? Isn't that just another protein? So albumin is special to nephrologists because it's really a marker of podocyte injury. And we know that in a lot of diseases, the more injured the podocytes are, the worse the prognosis, the renal prognosis. And the reason that albumin is a marker of podocyte injury is that podocytes make up the glomerular filtration barrier, and the main job of that barrier is to keep albumin in the blood and to keep it from leaking into the urine. And so when a lot of albumin leaks into the urine, we know that there's damage to the glomerular filtration barrier, in particular damage to podocytes. 
Um, you can get other proteins in the urine. For instance, you can get immunoglobulins in the urine. And that's generally not a marker of podocyte damage, but more a marker of a plasma cell dyscrasia. So you have overproduction of immunoglobulins, like you might have multiple myeloma or um, a monoclonal gammopathy of unknown significance. And then occasionally you can get uh, increased production of other proteins like TAM Horsfeld protein, which is a marker of tubular injury. But albumin is really what we look for when we're looking for damage to podocytes and to the glomerulus. Okay, so basically we can measure albuminuria, and that's very specific to albumin, of course. And then if we're measuring proteinuria, we're measuring albumin plus immunoglobulins plus TAM Horsfeld pro protein plus all these other proteins. Is that correct? That is correct. All right. All right. Well, how do we measure um, albumin on, uh, on spot urine to estimate a 24-hour albuminuria collection? So it's similar to the way we measure, we use uh, a spot protein to create mean ratio to um, approximate a 24-hour urine protein collection. And the assumption we make is that at steady state, um, an individual will excrete about a gram of creatinine a day. And so in that spot ratio, the, the um, bod number is essentially one. And so we can use the amount measured on a spot corrected for the creatinine to estimate either the amount of albumin for an albumin to creatinine ratio or the amount of protein for a protein crea to creatinine ratio to estimate either the total amount of albumin excreted in the urine a day or protein excreted in the urine per day. Okay, so we're just making an assumption that everybody, even though we know it varies for most people, everybody pees one gram of creatinine a day. So the measurement is milligrams per gram, um, and it's generally a good estimate, correct? That is correct. Okay, so why don't we do a ratio calculation with a 24-hour collection? So in a 24-hour collection, you've actually asked the person to bring in all the urine they've produced in a 24-hour period, and you measure the amount of protein or the amount of albumin in that 24-hour collection, so you do not need to normalize it to creatinine. Um, as Sarah mentioned above, we use the creatinine just as a marker to make sure that the person has done the 24-hour urine collection properly, so that they haven't either over-collected their urine, like maybe collected a day and a half or two days' worth of urine, or under-collected their urine, like maybe only collected half a day's worth of urine. Excellent. You'd be surprised how many times I get this question from trainees. So, all right. Um, Sarah, you also mentioned that we collect a 24-hour creatinine when checking a 24-hour albumin. Did we just talk about that? Is that a question? <laughs> Just to summarize, we can use a protein to creatinine ratio to estimate a 24-hour protein collection and an albumin creatinine ratio to estimate a 24-hour albumin collection. However, we do not use ratio calculation with a 24-hour urine collection. However, we should still measure creatinine in a 24-hour urine as it will tell us if we have an adequate collection. Have I summarized that okay? Yep, that's absolutely correct. Okay. I hope that we got that one down pat for everybody. Um, all right, so back to the consult. The, team, the term microalbuminuria was used. Are those small, tiny little albumin particles? They are actually not. Actually, the very first time I heard that word, I thought they might be, but they are not. It's <laughs> actually not a good term. Um, it simply means... 
albuminuria that's below the detection level of the typical dipstick used in a doctor's office. So it's generally albuminuria in the range of uh, 30 to 300 milligrams per gram. Um, and the reason it came to be widely used is that it was used in a lot of clinical research trials um, as a marker of how effective a particular drug or treatment was. But we've actually moved away from the use of that term. Okay. Do either of you, uh, either of you use that term? You know, we don't use the term. The term is often raised to us by primary care doctors who will say, I sent off a microalbumin to creatinine ratio and it was positive. So the term is out there. It's in the lab. Um, but we're really trying to move more to just albuminuria instead of microalbuminuria. Um, because uh, microalbuminuria is, is, again, not referring to small particles of albumin, but referring to somewhere between 30 and 300 milligrams of albumin in the urine. Okay, just to uh, um, bring up that essentially that's sort of the the amount that Sarah outlined is considered moder moderately increased albuminuria. But how does that correlate um, to our protein to creatinine ratios and our 24-hour collections? I'm, I'm genuinely confused because I thought Judy was going to answer this question, but it says me. Should, do you want me to go or Judy, so do you want to pink, do it? So I don't know. I think, but I think one person can answer it. So I could just answer it. Okay. <laughs> so, um, so should we start again with that question? No, it's fine. I think it's okay to, to leave some of this little stuff in. <laughs> what are these people talking about? Talking about? <laughs> okay. Note the time, Seamus. Moderately increased albuminuria uh, is about is thirty to three hundred milligrams per gram of albumin. How does that correlate to um, protein to creatinine ratio or a twenty four hour collection? So um, moderately increased albuminuria, which is 30 to 300 milligrams per gram of albumin, translates to around 150 to 500 milligrams per gram of protein. Um, so, and the reason that we focus on these levels is that um, at levels above um, 30 milligrams per gram or 150 milligrams per gram, your risk of increased cardiovascular events and the risk of kidney disease progression goes up very significantly. And um, if you would like more information on exactly how we classify albuminuria and proteinuria and the exact levels of, of cutoff for each class, um, you can go and take a look at the KDGO guidelines, which stands for Kidney Diseases Improving Global Outcomes. And they have a nice table which outlines um, how we stratify albuminuria and proteinuria. Fabulous. All right. Um, so one of the most common questions I receive from trainees is how um, do albuminuria values compare to protein proteinuria values and can either be used interchangeably? Yeah, so, um, you know, Again, albuminuria is really a measure of glomerular injury, and proteinuria may be catching other diseases as well. Now, um, we used to traditionally follow protein proteinuria. So a lot of diseases are defined by 
um, the response that you see in proteinuria, not in albuminuria. The greatest example is like a lot of the lupus studies show the best prognosis occurs if you can get their proteinuria to less than 800 milligrams per gram and stuff like that. But we are moving from following proteinuria to following albuminuria, and that's because it's more specific for glomerular injury. Um, and it's also important in patients with chronic kidney disease because we know the actual amount of albumin that they have in their urine correlates with their prognosis. And we now calculate when patients come to see us in the office their risk of needing dialysis in the next two to five years. It, uh, the calculation is called the KFRE, Kidney Failure Risk Equation. You can find it online. And it involves putting in the patient's age, their sex, where they geographically reside, um, and how much albuminuria um, they have. And then it actually will give you a percent, the chances of that person having kidney failure in the next two years versus five years. And that re equation requires albuminuria, um, not proteinuria. So I have moved from following proteinuria to following albuminuria now so that I can use that equation. But the most important thing is that once you start following one, you don't change because they are distinctly different values. Um, and so once you're trending one value, stick with that. But all my new patients now get albumin to creatinine ratios. Um, I'd just like to chime in that if you do go to that kidney failure risk equation, um, and it's really interesting to just keep everything else the same and vary the albuminuria, and the risk goes up very substantially just by changing the albuminuria. It's, it's, it's very interesting, and it's been validated in, in over a million patients. So it's obviously just an estimate of risk, but it's pretty well validate, validated. Yeah. It, it, what's funny is that, not to give too much about where I'm coming from or for my where I spend most of my time practicing medicine, but I we're just pushing towards like definitively moving towards albumin to creatinine ratios too. And I don't know, because it's becoming so standardized, I'm surprised that we're a little bit behind the ball, but we're on our way there as well. Anyways, moving on, um, when is the albumin to creatinine ratio not reliable? I think Judy touched on this earlier in the podcast, which there are some diseases that are not glomerular diseases. So the most obvious one is, um, you know, mo uh, plasma cell dyscrasias, where the protein that's in the urine is actually immunoglobulins, so multiple myeloma. Um, and such. And in that case, um, if you're just checking an albumin to creatinine ratio, you're not going to pick up on the proteinuria. But if you check a protein to creatinine ratio, you will find an elevation. Um, and so it is helpful when you're looking for the cause of someone's renal disease and proteinuria to check both early on. Um, but then once you've decided where the disorder is to then just trend one of them. Okay. What if your institution if doesn't have the capability of checking a urine albumin? Can a paraproteinemia, multiple myeloma, still be detected? So, yes, because all institutions, at all institutions, you should have access to the standard dipstick test, which really only detects albumin. So if the dipstick only shows negative or trace albuminuria, but the proteinuric measurements are high, that should really raise your suspicion for a plasma cell dyscrasia and definitely warrants further investigation with an SPEP, a UPEP, and Kappa and Lambda free light chains. 
Great. So a dipstick can still be helpful. The good old dipstick can still be helpful. <laughs> All right. Well, back to our patient. This patient has 800 milligrams of albuminuria and 1,600 milligrams per gram of proteinuria. How much is that for this person? This person. Yeah, so that's um, that's a lot of proteinuria. It's not a ton of proteinuria. Um, so, uh, you know, <laughs> I would say it's a moderate amount of proteinuria. <laughs> it's technically severe, um, though. The, pa- the patient's not... <laughs> If a patient's not nephrotic, um, which is more than three grams of protein or three and a half grams, and uh, uh, but you know it's something that is definitely suggests significant glomerular injury. Okay, for a patient with diabetic nephropathy, when would you recommend a nephrology consultation? So my recommendation is any degree of albuminuria and chronic kidney disease stage three. Um, and that's because the albuminuria really increases their, their, as Judy mentioned earlier, increases their uh, rate of progression to end-stage renal disease. So in diabetics, I like to see them when they have CKD stage 3. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I think I'm in that boat as well. So let's pretend the patient does not have diabetic nephropathy then. When would you recommend a nephrology consultation now? So obviously it's somewhat dependent on the, the patient and their exact situation and their age. Um, I, I think proteinuria of above a few hundred milligrams, um, probably about 500 milligrams in anyone who is young and really should have minimal proteinuria would warrant a referral to nephrology or any evidence of proteinuria and renal dysfunction. So definitely uh, if they have a, a rapidly rising creatinine or even a creatinine that's just trending up but, and have proteinuria, that would warrant referral to nephrology. On the other hand, if you have somebody, you know, who's in their 80s with just a few hundred milligrams of proteinuria, that probably doesn't warrant refer, referral to nephrology. So it's really somewhat dependent on the patient's age and their other clinical parameters. Okay. What is your cutoff for an albumin to creatinine ratio or protein to creatinine ratio to biopsy a patient? So this is going to be very uh, dependent upon the nephrologist. I take care of a lot of lupus patients and and patients with underlying autoimmune disease. If they have 500 milligrams of protein, that's enough for them to get biopsied. Um, In contrast, the vast majority of patients that we see who have, let's say, you know, 60-year-old guy who has a long history of hypertension, has known LVH and complications from his hypertension, I'm probably not going to biopsy him for 500 milligrams of protein. Um, Or someone who's obese, I'm probably not going to biopsy them for 500 milligrams of protein. Um, So it really depends on what their risk factors are for uh, different um, diseases. Yeah, I think this is is something where... um... It's very dependent on the exact clinical scenario that you're dealing with. Very dependent on the patient's age, their other comorbidities, whether you think there's another reasonable explanation for them to have albuminuria or proteinuria. Um, And there's no hard cutoffs at low levels of albuminuria or proteinuria. I think most people agree that anyone who's nephrotic um, 
will, will, you'd be much more likely to, to think about a biopsy in those patients, but at the lower levels, like less, you know, around a gram or less, it's, it's very dependent on the exact clinical scenario. All right. So nephrology consultation, any degree of chronic kidney disease or change in kidney function with albuminuria, why don't you send them our way? It's a little bit more hazy when it comes to sending them our way, but at least about 500 milligrams, maybe a little bit less depending on um, the age and what's going on with the patient. But overall, if you ever have questions, you guys can ask us and we'd be happy to direct you as well. I think that's all we have for our podcast. Any final thoughts, guys, before we move on to our learning points? I just want to reiterate that if you have any doubt about whether to refer a patient to nephrology for albuminuria or proteinuria, just err on the side of referral rather than not referral. We'd, we'd be re we're happy to see somebody even just once and make some recommendations um, rather than miss something that may be progressive. I would also say that if you are practicing in an institution that is not measuring urine albumin, that you start a petition to get it measured and we will sign it, send it our way, <laughs> because it's really what we should be moving towards. You may have just opened Pandora's box on that one, Sarah. Sarah. <laughs> I'll sign petitions, just put it in front of me. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll take away our learning points. Um, one. Spot albumin to creatinine ratio or protein to creatinine ratio provides a good estimate of 24-hour urine albumin or protein, respectively. Two, generally, albuminuria and proteinuria values can be used as long as you are consistent and know the range of each. Three, when there is a discrepancy between high proteinuria levels and undetectable or trace albuminuria values, a paraproteinemia may be present. And I'll just toss number four in here. Please um, err on the side of caution and refer your patients who have albuminuria to a nephrologist if you are wondering if you should or should not. That's all we have, gang. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much for joining us. But remember, we are going to be doing an extra podcast this month, a bonus podcast where we review the articles that influenced or changed our care the most in the past year. So please look for that and tune in. It's our, it's our January special. And I, for one, am extremely excited to talk about the two trials that have changed my practice in the recent past. Um, since I have it in front of me and we almost forgot, uh, this is our legal disclaimer. This podcast is for educational purposes only. The views and statements expressed on this podcast are solely for the, those of the hosts. This podcast should not be used as medical advice for treatment purposes only. So sorry, I just stole your thunder there, Judy. And um... <laughs> I think you did it better than me. I think I'm, I'm passing the baton. You are now in charge of the legal disclaimer. <laughs> Uh, um, Sarah, can you give us our credits? I can't find them. Um, our credits, uh, are to my son, Seamus Klingsporn for editing our podcast and Josh Strong, who did our little graphic for our, um, podcast and, uh, to the division of nephrology at the university of Colorado for employing us. Yes. And, and the Denver <laughs> VA. <laughs> Thanks again, all of you, for hanging out with us, and we'll see you next month with our next podcast. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks a lot, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.